other side on this on this question of um, the myths of, of technological founders and and sort of superhumanness and so on, I'm I, I'm always reminded of steampunk. Uh, this this person uh, Magpie Killjoy, I believe their pronouns are now they them. Uh, Magpies uh, uh, edited this magazine for a long time called Steampunk Magazine, whose motto I think should be your guys' motto, which was love the machine, hate the factory, right? And and it was the idea that like. <laughs> steampunk's like motif was that you could realize all of the the benefits of industrialization which was that if we if we surrendered our autonomy we could join a production line that could produce goods more efficiently right that we could go from like this world in which you know a person might own two sets of clothes if they were wealthy if not they had one you know marx pawned his pants to write capital because mm-hmm. pants used to be expensive and you'd have to pawn them, right? Marx pawned his pants to write capital and couldn't leave the house because he didn't have other pants, right? That that like production lines made consumer goods, not luxuries, but basics, uh, affordable and available and within reach to large numbers of people. But, you know, the difference between being an, ar- an artisan and a factory worker was that the artisan who was like a carpenter making a door could say like, oh, the weather's nice today. I'm going to go outside and shave doors down, plane doors down in the outer doors or paint things or, oh, it's it's rainy out. I'm going to go indoors and do tasks that can only be done indoors. Where if you're on the line and it's like, eh, I'm not feeling it today. I'm just going to go like smell the roses. The whole line shuts down because you're not there screwing your widget in. Mm-hmm. And and that steampunk was the promise of industrial scale production with artisanal style work, right? Where you could realize your autonomy and still contribute to things that could produce at, at massive scale and low, low cost, low input. I think that's a dream we shouldn't let go of. Like, I think there's a reason that arose in the era of like wikis and Git and, and, you know, source control repositories and so on, things where you could have entities who weren't explicitly collaborating, producing materials in common that didn't require high degrees of coordination and surrendering of individual autonomy to participate in them. And, you know, I'm all for production. And I think that uh, an excess focus on individualism produces toxic outcomes. But I think we should be as, in, as individualistic as possible if we can manage it, right? Like that there's that the reason to surrender your individualism is for a common good, not because a failure to exercise your own proclivities is itself good, right? And so if we can realize the same common good and still give more autonomy to individuals, that is a better outcome. That's a, a more favorable outcome, whether you're a Marxist or an anarchist or anything in between, that being the entire spectrum of potential political views. Somewhere in space, this may all be happening right now. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> we, we've got we've got you, Corey, on one side as a as a libertarian socialist. Uh, we've got Ed as an anarchist, and me as a Marxist. And right. and this we've is got, the real we've got meeting both kinds, of the country minds. and western. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is this, this exactly. is the real meeting of the minds here. We're setting aside our our sectarian differences, right? <laughs> to right. look at the just, world and say look, we can all agree. Take this the Finnish frontier, Ed. Mm-hmm. and we need to defend it against the the white army uh-huh. you're gonna have to cooperate with the people's army <laughs> yeah or we're gonna have to liquidate you i mean I, I nothing personal here but that's just how shit goes yeah <laughs> we're all on the same team right 
<laughs> yeah, and Jeremy's becoming a Bookchinian, which is a version of a libertarian socialist, but an ecologist as well. Uh, and, and so we've got it all. I, I like, I do, I, I do like that slogan of the, uh, uh, of that magazine by Magpie Kiljoy, the love the machine, hate the factory. And I, I think it's something that it speaks to something that I know I've gotten as well. You know, friends who who know I, I self-identify strongly as a as a Luddite, as a Marxist Luddite, right? They'll they'll also ask me things like, "You you call yourself a Luddite, yet you just gave us a whole like twenty minute rundown on this new like vacuum brewer coffee maker that you just bought, <laughs> and you're one of the only people. You're a sucker. All- Buy an Aeropress. <laughs> <laughs> no, I bought this because I got tired of you using my AeroPress and I wanted something new. (laughs) I'm like going into these coffee shops in Melbourne, telling them about my vacuum brewer uh, coffee maker. And they're like, what is this? I've never heard of this. And I'm like, yes, I know something about coffee (laughs) that coffee (laughs) that baristas in Melbourne don't know about. My friends are like, how do you, how do you square that circle between being a Luddite but on the other hand, just telling us about how this vacuum brewer coffee maker works with like sure. so much joy in your eyes. And I and this is exactly <laughs> what um, I've, I've had to come to over time as well as I've kind of, you know, my position has become more nuanced, right? As a kind of just like all technology is bad, technology sucks to this kind of like, no, no, no. I, I think that we, we deserve a better class of technology than the one that that is currently um, forced and hoisted upon us, right? And I think there is something to that, love the machine, hate the factory. Um, And it is also something that, uh, as a kid, I was I was I was in I was in love with cyberpunk and steampunk and all of that kind of those those kinds of um, interesting varieties of sci-fi and things and, and and then as I've gotten older, I've kind of uh, reacted against that because I but because I do think that they hold really interesting critiques and and interesting values and and different ways of looking at it. While at the same time, and I think that this is the that you know that famous quote that it's easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism is that they also do uh, I find internalize certain cultural aspects of of the way society is organized in ways that I find really off-putting, right? Like the steampunk internalizes a lot of the kind of like Victorian hierarchy and society of manners. Cyberpunk tends to have this kind of like heroic hacker um, kind of figure, right? And I, But I think what that really is getting at is uh, a difficulty in, in thinking about how can things be differently um, while also uh, feeling like the only subjectivity that you can be trapped in that you can have is as a kind of like underground resistance, an outsider, uh, a rebel to this this big dystopian system um, that is operating around. As someone who uh, is an active producer, these kinds of uh, fictional worlds and stories, I wonder what you think of and has your your understanding or reaction to these kinds of tropes of steampunk and sci-fi or, or and cyberpunk and so on, has that evolved over time as well? Sure. I mean, I you know, my, my kind of eye-opening moment was like, as I got to know William Gibson, um, like it became clear to me that what Bill was writing about when he wrote Neuromancer was a kind of reflection of the anxiety of like, the Reagan years, right? Of like multinational uh, capitalism. 
And I, I wrote a steampunk story for a young adult collection called Steampunk with an exclamation point uh, that where the story was called Clockwork Fagan. And it was about um, the children who've been maimed in the information mills of Toronto, of Muddy York, as it was called in the, before it was called Toronto, who get sent to an orphanage where they're beaten by the evil Fagan and sent out to, uh, to beg with their wounds on display. And so they conspire to murder him and then cure his hide and fill him with clockwork automata so that they can fool the nuns who fund the orphanage into thinking that he's still running things. Meanwhile, they set up a workers cooperative <laughs> that runs the thing separately and they write a version. There's a, there's a doggerel version of which side are you on mm -hmm. in there. That's a steampunk version of which side are you on? So, it, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. I mean, I think that, you know, the, the cyberpunk uh, OGs uh, like, um, you know, Terry Bisson and, and Pat Cadigan and uh, Gibson and Sterling and, and that lot tend to be kind of left leaning liberals, but not like radical political mm -hmm. actors. Some of them are more radical than other. I think Kadri uh, would call himself some kind of socialist.